Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church Audio Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have audio from our Sunday service, June 12th, 2011 in downtown Covington. The title of today's message is Citizens of Heaven. This is part 19 of our series, Letters from Prison, looking into the book of Philippians. We'll be in chapter 3, verses 17 through... 21, I think. Really good stuff talking about our life as kingdom people. Also, just a reminder, we're going to be starting our marriage course in a couple of weeks on a Tuesday night. Uh, If you're interested in taking that, just contact us through the website. Also, don't forget to check out northshorevineyard.org for all of the various things we've got going on, from missions projects in the community to youth events. calendar events, and also this podcast. Well, let's head over to North Shore Vineyard for the talk today. Citizens of Heaven. Thanks for listening. Seventeen through 21, the Apostle Paul writes, Join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters, and just as, you have, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Lord, this morning, we just welcome You here. We thank You that You are here already. We sense Your Spirit, Your presence in the room during worship this morning. And and Lord, we do. We give you our hearts. We give you all, all that we are. We ask that, that you would speak to us today, God. I pray that, that any ideas or thoughts in our hearts that are standing up against your truth, against your gospel, against your good news, God, that, that they would be brought low today, God, and that we would be set free by the truth of your word. In Jesus' name. Well, the, the central motif that Paul uses in these verses today is, is one of citizenship. Paul says, you are citizens of heaven. Now, I have to tell you, I've been a Christian, I don't know, close. To, I'm getting close to 20 years now. And I've heard a lot of talk in Christianity about uh, passages like this where we are citizens of heaven or, or even as Peter writes, uh, he said we are strangers and aliens and, and kind of the idea that a lot of Christians go with this is, hey man, we're just passing through this world and you know, we're just hanging, hanging out till some bright morning when this life is over, we'll fly away and be with Jesus forever. And, and so the idea is that citizenship really is more like exile. Have you ever picked up that idea in Christianity before? Is it just me? Okay. Is anybody listening? Okay. Got a lot of people having dreams and visions in here this morning. <laughs> uh, 
And, and a lot of people think that, that Christianity, when it comes to this idea of being citizens, we're, we're in exile. We're just hanging on until Jesus gets us out of here. Remember the end of the world, which happened a couple weeks ago? Or was supposed to happen uh, back on May 21st. Uh, there, there was a lot of talk that it's Judgment Day, it's the end of the world. And there was a lot of people that took that very seriously. And, and so they started running up their credit cards and liquidating all their assets and, and cashing in their retirement fund. I don't know why, uh, but they were putting all their hope on that. And then so it wasn't the end of the world on May 21st. Yeah, they, they pushed it back, pushed it back a little bit. Um, but there's a lot of people who put their hope in that because kind of the, the narrative that they're living in is one of just, it's, we're in exile. We just need to wait till we can escape out of this world and, and get out of here, be freed from this place. But when Paul talks about citizenship, it's not about going somewhere else when we die. It's not about eternity out there. It's actually a different kind of thing altogether. And, and the Philippians would have, would have certainly got what Paul was saying because it was part of their, their cultural history, so to speak. I want to give a little history lesson, brief history lesson. Book of, uh, the, the city of, or town of Philippi was, was formed by a guy named Philip. You get it? Get the connection? Philip I. And so king, he was a king of Macedonia. He formed this, this town about 300 B.C. Well, fast forward a few hundred years to 30 A.D. This was about 80 years before the book of Philippians was uh, supposedly written. And so 30, year, 30 A.D., there was, Philippi was the site of a major battle, kind of a Roman civil war, so to speak. If you know your history, Julius Caesar was assassinated by... Brutus and Cassius, et tu Brute, right? And uh, they assassinated him. The, the whole empire was, was just about to collapse from internal strife. And so the armies of Cassius and Brutus go out to fight the armies of Mark Anthony and Augustus. And where did they fight? They fought right around Philippi. It was the scene of this, this massive battle. But at the end, Augustus and Mark Anthony, their armies prevailed. And Augustus went on to become uh, Augustus Caesar, the, the emperor of Rome. Well, there's something you're going to find throughout history, world history. Anytime you have large amounts of soldiers hanging out with nothing to do, not a good thing. That's a recipe for, for bad stuff to happen. And so once this war was over, they had thousands and thousands of, of, of Roman soldiers out there. And they had to think, what can we do with all these soldiers? We can't take all these guys back to Rome. That will you know, cause instability there. So they decided to form, take, take this little Greek colony of, of Philippi and, and turn it into a Roman colony. Can I help you? <laughs> yes, you're welcome. <laughs> And so they, they, they formed it into a Roman colony, and it was, it was settled mainly by Roman soldiers, veterans of war. And they were given land as part of, their, uh, part of the reward for fighting for the empire of Rome. Now, if you were a Roman citizen and you were settling in Philippi, it wasn't a matter of like, oh, man, I'm, I've been bad. I'm stuck here in Philippi. I, I hope I can get back to Rome someday. No, being a Roman citizen meant that you were living in Philippi not as 
someone in exile, but rather as someone who was trying to see the rule and the reign, the glory of Rome actually exhibited in Philippi, right? So, so you were actually living for the glory of Rome. You, you, you weren't interested in becoming a Greek. You were interested in seeing the power of Rome, the culture of Rome, the ways of Rome established in that city. You wanted it to be like a Roman place. So when Paul says, your citizenship is in heaven, uh, the, the, what the Philip I always want to call them Filipinas. <laughs> the Filipinas, what the Philippians would have heard, they would have understood this idea of citizenship to be not about hanging on in exile, just waiting until God can take them back. They would understand that it's not about going somewhere else. It's actually about seeing somewhere else come here. It's actually about seeing the rule and reign of the kingdom of God brought to bear in Philippi. On earth as it is in heaven. But the problem is, a lot of people misunderstood what the gospel was truly about. And, and Jesus says that they, they actually, because of that, they actually ended up becoming enemies of the very cross of Christ. It's interesting in these, these verses, Paul says in... Uh, Starting in verse 20, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So Paul, in talking about citizenship, he, he, he brings up this point, which he brings up in a lot of the books of the Bible. He says, What we are working towards... As, as Christ followers, is to resurrection. Now, I, I have to say the narrative that I kind of grew up in Christianity, that the stuff that I heard was that being a Christian was really all about just praying a prayer so you can go somewhere else when you die, and that somewhere else was this disembodied, kind of ghost-like existent on clouds playing harps in some never-ending church service. Did anybody ever hear that idea of heaven before? You get that? Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of like the, the, the cultural idea, but that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul says the, the end of this thing, what we're working towards is that we're going to be resurrected just like Jesus. We're going to have a new body, the upgrade. Who's ready for the upgrade? I am. We will one day experience resurrection just like Jesus. We will have a body that doesn't suffer decay and death and and all the dysfunction that we feel right now. One day, we will experience resurrection. And it's part of the resurrection that God's going to do for all creation. We see at the end of the Bible, Revelations, we see that, that there's a new heavens and a new earth. God renews His whole creation. God will completely restore all that has been corrupted by sin and death. So really, the end of this story, we see that heaven actually invades earth. And that ultimately, we will be resurrected to have bodies that are built for a whole new context that is devoid of sin and death and destruction. So Paul says, that's what we're working towards. That's the end. That's when the kingdom comes in its fullness. But right now we live eagerly. What he, he says, we eagerly await. We, we're not just hanging around going, ah, can't wait till I get out of here. No, we're like eagerly anticipating. One day we are going to see the fullness 
of God's power. But in the moment, in, in this moment, in this present moment, we begin to live out the kingdom right now. We begin to be people who are a colony of heaven, so to speak. The same way that Philippi was a colony of Rome, the church is supposed to be a colony of heaven. We're a colony of of the kingdom breaking in right here. And so we show people not just the customs of this world. We show them the customs of a new world where God will be the king and every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he's Lord. We live out the ways of that place, the culture of that place in the here and now. You tracking with me? But what Paul is getting at, he says that, you know, there's people who, for whatever reason, they come to the knowledge of Jesus and then they become enemies of the cross. They, They say yes to Jesus, but then... They make an idol out of their own desires. Paul says they, they, they make an idol out of their stomach. It's not just they worship, you know, they don't have a statue with just a stomach on it. It'd be kind of weird. But, but the, the, the picture Paul's getting is they make an idol of their appetites. And they worship that. And Paul was, the, the wording here, no doubt, he's... He's, he's kind of confronting an idea that was very popular in the Greco-Roman world that, was, that it actually has grown up alongside of Christianity. You ever heard the term Gnosticism before? Anyone? Okay, well, Gnosticism was this idea that, that sprung up from really Greek philosophy. And it's the idea that the created world is evil. Actually, you take, go back in Gnosticism. Actually, they think the God that created this world was evil too. He was a lesser God. And wasn't very good. And so he created this world that's not very good. In this world, all the material things we see are evil. The only thing that is good is spiritual. And so the word gnosis, the root word of Gnosticism, is knowledge. And so the only way to free yourself from this evil world is to get secret hidden knowledge you know, through some kind of experience that will set your spirit free so that you can be freed from this world. So there were actually Gnostic Christians. Have you ever heard of Gnostic Gospels? They, they popped up a couple of hundred years after the real Gospels. But uh, Da Vinci Code, they, they kind of talk about Gnostic Gospels. But the Gnostic Gospels basically said that Jesus was, you know, he didn't really come as a human. He, he was just a spiritual being the whole time. He was just spirit. And when he rose from the grave, he didn't really rise from the grave in a physical body. He just looked physical, but he was really just a spiritual being. And really believing Jesus is, is just the secret knowledge that will set us free. And so there are two kind of ends of Gnosticism. And I believe one of the reasons Paul is always hitting the bodily resurrection of Jesus is because he's fighting these kind of Gnostic ideas that were present in the Gospels. Now, as I'm saying this stuff, you may be thinking, dude, this sounds just like Christianity. You know, like the world is evil. I need God to help me escape this world through some spiritual experience. That may be, and I got to say, Gnosticism has grown up alongside Christianity, and it's interwoven with a lot of it. And a lot of what we see today is, is heavily influenced by this Greek idea of Gnosticism. That Actually, some of it predates Christianity. But 
Gnostics, they tended to one, one extreme or the other. Some saw this world as so evil, so we need to completely separate from the world. We need to completely, you know, kind of circle the wagons, form our own community, and, and, and do a whole lot of ascetic practices, denying the flesh and, and to, to be spiritual. So that was one side. But the other side was people who were like, dude, we've found the secret enlightened. We're, we're the enlightened ones, and, and we're free from this evil world, so we can do whatever we want. And so they would, instead of being ascetic and, and, and rules-bound, they would just turn over to hedonism, and they would just indulge whatever desires they ever had. And these are the ones that Paul is speaking to, people who have misunderstood what the gospel is about. See, the other day I talked about Paul's former life. He thought that, it, you know, following all these rules, the hundreds of rules of the Old Covenant, plus the couple of hundred rules that the Pharisees invented to throw on top of those hundreds of laws, he thought that that impressed God. And he lived his whole life doing that way. So it was legalism and moralism. And Paul, what does he call it? Scubalon, right? You remember the word? That's our, our word for the month, scubalon. It was garbage. It was trash. He says, my former life compared to knowing Jesus, it's trash. So he was saying, there's one way to be estranged from God, which is in your own moralism, your own self-righteousness. You can be in God's house, like the older brother and the prodigal son, in God's house, in the father's house, but not know the father. You can be estranged from him. And Paul's saying, that was me. But the other side is, and this is where people misunderstand grace a lot. I talked about, I've been, we've been talking about grace a whole lot of here. Some people think that, hey, Jesus accepts me. He loves me. I'm saved by grace. I can just do whatever I want now. And, but again, to do that is to misunderstand what following Jesus is about. It's not about just going somewhere else when you die. It's about living the reality, the kingdom, and the here and now. As you push towards that ultimate future. And so Paul writes, he says, I'm writing this with tears in my eyes, guys. I'm crying as I'm writing this because it breaks my heart that some have come to know Jesus, come to accept him as the Messiah, but yet they go on living like anybody else out there in the Roman world. See, the gospel message says something completely different from the Gnosticism of the day. God so loved the world. The world. Actually, it's a bigger word than that. It's actually the word translated world in English. It's cosmos. God so loved the whole big thing that he created. Every bit of it, including human beings. He loved it all so much that he wasn't content to see it suffer under the curse and the bondage of sin, death, and decay. He sent his own son, Jesus, to enter into our world and to live as one of us, to, to move into our neighborhood, to, to, to face everything that you and I face, every temptation, every trial, every trouble, yet he did it without sin. He lived as one of us, and he faced evil. He faced the, the full force of evil as a man, and he defeated evil once and for all. That's the gospel, and he rose from the grave inaugurating a new world, a new humanity, a new way of life. So, with an understanding of the gospel, the created world, the material world, is not the enemy. From a Christian perspective, the world is a place 
that needs to be freed from the curse of sin. It's the, the, what, did, what did it say when God created the world in the beginning? God created this, and it was good. It's a good world, but it's under the curse of sin. The world's not the enemy in that sense, the, the material world. Desire itself is not the enemy. A lot of Christians make desire the enemy. That, that really we need to just restrain all the desires we have. Whether it's for sex or food or relationship or whatever. But the desires themselves are not the enemy. It's when desires become an idol that they become the enemy. You have a desire to have relationship. But maybe you've been at a point sometimes where all of a sudden being in relationship becomes a God itself. Have you ever been there? Have you ever noticed, known people who've been there? And so they think that they can get fulfillment just by being in a relationship. And they make that their purpose, their goal, their passion. (laughs) And so they go from one relationship to the next, always trying to fill that place. Maybe it's sex. There's people who look to sex. They're, They're just obsessed with it. Or material wealth or whatever. You, you, can, you can name a number of things. But as long as, as we said a couple of weeks ago, as long as, as, as you're, you're worshiping an idol, you are never going to be fulfilled. But the desire itself for food, sex, comfort, whatever, those desires themselves aren't evil. They just need to be put in the proper place with Jesus <laughs> at the center. In Philippians 3.17, Paul says, Join together in following my example. Now, we can see that if you look at... When I was reading this, I was like, Wow, that sounds a lot like something Paul said in another uh, book to, uh, letter to a church that he wrote. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul, Paul says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. But it's interesting when he says that, it comes, if you read it in context, Paul has been saying something that led up to that point. And he's been talking about desires and freedom, specifically food. And so I I think we can all relate with that, right? Paul's talking about meat. Let's read some words on meat. 1 Corinthians 10, 23-33. I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything that's sold in the meat market without raising a question of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything is it. He's quoting Psalms. Uh, He says, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice to an idol... Then do not eat it, for both, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in a meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way... For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And then he goes on to say, So follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul is is getting to a... Now, this may sound like an odd passage to you. I, I know 
if you go down to your local Winn-Dixie, you don't have to worry about whether that food was sacrificed to idols. I don't think. I think, I think we're pretty okay on that. Uh, but back in Paul's day, when he was planning these churches, that was a big issue. You had people who were coming out of paganism. I mean, they used to go to the temple of Athena or Zeus or one of thousands of other gods, and there would be animal sacrifices. And, and those animals that would sacrifice, as soon as they sacrificed them, they'd take it down to the local meat market, and they would sell that meat. And so you can imagine how this would, this would be an odd thing. You know, like I came out of something that was opposed to God. I was into idol worship, and now I'm a Christ follower. What do I do with this meat that's been offered to an idol? Is it, is it tainted? Is it, like, is it bad? And Paul's saying... Dude, what's an idol? An idol's nothing. Zeus doesn't exist. He's not real. He's like, I'm totally free to eat whatever. I don't have to ask where this thing came from. But he said, but for the sake of others, if I come to somebody's house who uh, is your local pagan you know, idol worshiper and, and I'm eating dinner with them, they had me over for some uh, ribeye steaks and... And, you know, we get a few minutes, you know, a few minutes into the meal and all of a sudden they say, yeah, we just, this was offered to Zeus a little while ago. He says, if that comes up, then put your fork down, become a vegetarian for the evening. He might be thinking, but I love ribeye steaks, especially when they cooked well. And I don't care if they're offered to Zeus. And Paul's saying, it's not about your conscience. It's about the conscience of other people. And so this may be something that, that may send mixed messages to them. Not that you believe an idol is real or Zeus is real, and not that you're, you have a weak conscience, but, but you're going to subject your own desire for ribeyes, your own desire to eat whatever you want, your own freedom to eat whatever you want. You're going to subject that to a greater law, which is the law of love. I'm going to deny myself something that I would like to eat tonight because... I love you. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying that in the kingdom, we, we consider other people with our decisions. We, we're not making an idol of our stomachs. We're not trying to say, I deserve this. I'm free. I can eat whatever I want. By golly, I'm going to eat whatever I want. He says, no. No, we consider other people. If this is going to make somebody else stumble or is this going to confuse someone else, then I'm not going to do it. I'm going to subject it to the law of love. Jesus, in, in Matthew 22, uh, 36 through 40, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I've talked a few weeks ago, particularly when we were talking about Paul's past, it, under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, there were markers for the Jewish people. There were things that marked them out. One was circumcision. One was, you know, following the Sabbath, dietary rules, all these things. And that marked you out as a people. It was physical identifiers. Oh, that's a Jew. That's somebody who is under the old covenant. Jesus fulfills the old law, the old covenant. And under the new covenant, the only markers that really ultimately matter is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, as evidenced by following Jesus, and love your neighbor as yourself. Just two rules. That's it. You get those done, we can go on to more, okay? <laughs> That's it. Jesus whittles everything down to those two commandments. Love God, love other people. 
And see, when we are actually fulfilling those commandments, we're not going to slip into idolatry. You're not going to make an idol of your own desires when you're following the, covenants of Je- the, the commandments of Jesus because they're all about sacrificial love, loving others. Jesus, I, what I love about Jesus is he not only talked about greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. He not only talked about uh, loving one's enemies and blessing those who curse you. Jesus, he didn't just talk about it. He did it. He lived it. Jesus comes up and, and, and touches lepers. Nobody touched lepers. You can't touch a leper. It's, it's illegal. <laughs> Jesus touches a leper and he heals them. Jesus goes to Matthew's house and he, has, he welcomes prostitutes and tax collectors, all these people. He welcomes them at his table. Jesus loved his, his own friends, laid down his life for them. But I think the just most amazing picture that we see is that Jesus on the cross facing the evil, the accumulated evil of all time, taking the weight of sin upon him, the, the, the anger and malice of the enemy. And what does he say as he's hanging there? He says, Father, forgive them. They don't even get it. They don't even understand what they're doing right now. Isn't that crazy? I guess that's just like, he's, he's dying. And the very ones who crucified him, he extends mercy to them with his dying breath. <laughs> Forgive them. Have compassion on them. They don't even know what they're doing. That's, that's what following Jesus looks like. It's the way of sacrificial love. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he goes to the cross, what does he say? He says, Father, please take this cup from me. I don't want to go. I don't want to die. I don't want to face what's ahead of me. But he says, nevertheless, not my will, not what I desire, but what you desire. That's the way of the kingdom. See, the kingdom isn't denying your desires. It's not saying, you know, I don't, I don't have desires to sin anymore. I don't have this or that. I don't, I don't feel this way about that. It's not denying them, but it's saying, God, this is what I feel like. I mean, even Jesus said, I don't feel like going ahead with this. Nevertheless, not what I feel, not what I want, not what I desire, but your will. The way of citizenship in the kingdom is subjecting our desires to the law of love, subjecting our desires to the will of our heavenly father, saying, God, this is what I want but not what I want, what you want. James 3, 13 through 18, uh, James writes this. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such so-called wisdom, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow peace so in peace, reap a harvest 
of righteousness. What James is saying, he says, the way of our world, just the natural way of thinking, the, the natural culture that we live in, it's all about me. It's I got this job, and if I'm going to get a promotion, if I'm going to go up the corporate ladder, I'm going to step on anybody I need to to get approached. It's all about me. My possessions, my house, my cars, it's all about me. And we can even turn the blessings of God into being, it's all about me, my health, my wealth, my happiness. But that's not the way of the kingdom. See, the way of the kingdom is not selfish ambition. It is peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. See, this is the way of the kingdom versus the way of idolatry. And the truth is, if you follow James' advice here, if you try to be someone who is peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, guess what? You're going to look like a loser. You really are. You are going to look like a loser sometimes. There's going to be some times where you look like you just got, you, you lost the job promotion that you wanted. You didn't win an argument. There are times where you are going to look weak and foolish and stupid to other people. But, but, but James says, if you continue on that path, you are going to reap the fruit of righteousness. What does that mean? God is going to make things right on the inside of you. He's going to set you right. All the things that are crooked and, and drawn this way or that way, God is going to bring it back into alignment with his purpose, his will. You reap that. It's an organic process. It, it, it comes forth like fruit. And James is saying this this is, this is citizenship. This is the culture. You know, just the way that the Romans would have had their own culture in Philippi. James is saying, this is the culture of people who are living by the kingdom of heaven. This is what it looks like. Tell me, does this look like the world you live in? <laughs> does this look like your office? Does this look like your neighbors? No. It looks completely different. You would stand out like a Roman soldier in a new colony in Greece, you would stand out as a, like a sore thumb in a sense. If you forsake selfish ambition, jealousy, if you forsake all this, it's all about me and my way and my desires, if you give that up, if you subject that to the will of God, you are going to look completely different from the world around you. And guess what? That's part of the point. That's part of the point. See, Christianity, although some people have tried to make it about legalism and you got to look this way, talk this way, abstain from this or do this, it all boils down, really, to this kind of stuff. It's not external things. It's living a life of humility and love and peace. <laughs> you do that, you are going to stick out like a sore thumb. People are going to start asking you, dude, what is it about your life? How come when things are coming down all around you, you're not going crazy like everybody else? Well, because I'm not looking to all this stuff as my idol, as my satisfaction. I'm freed. And see, the thing is, when we pursue this path, God puts our desires in the right place. See, Christianity, God actually 
we follow Jesus, if we subject our will to the love of God, God frees up our desires to be in the proper place. Have you ever, I, I, I don't know if you ever get into this. Recently, we've had so much craziness going on. Um, been eating a little bit more fast food than I care to admit. I keep saying I'm going to get back on my diet. I am tomorrow. <laughs> Say that every week. Uh, but I, I find sometimes, like, if you have the occasional burger, it's really good, right? Oh, that was an awesome burger. But if you eat a burger the next day and the next day, after about five days, y'all remember that show, Supersize Me? Oh, dude, if you ever saw that, he makes it like about five days, and then he tries to eat a burger, and he's just like throwing up. He can't take it anymore. And, and that's kind of the way it is, because we're letting our desires rule us. And, and we're looking to our, we're, we're, we're thinking that our appetites can be satisfied by making an idol out of them. But when we subject our desires, physical, emotional, spiritual, we subject those to the will of Jesus, to the law of love, then they're freed up. Now we can understand sex the way it was meant to be understood. We can understand uh, spending our money the way it was meant to be. We can understand relationships the way we were intended to because they've come in alignment with God. I want to invite uh, Ken up here as I close this morning. The question I want us to, to, to ask ourselves this morning, to ask the Lord for each of us is where are we making things just about our own desires? What is it in your life? What is it in my life where it's just, I've made it all about me. This, it, this is what I deserve. This is what I'm entitled to. This is what I want. And we're so fixated on that. We can't see anything else. What is that for you this morning? Ken's going to lead us in the song that we sang earlier. And as we sing this, I just want us to, to, to ask the Lord that. Is it something on your job? Is it something in your marriage? What is it that you have made an idol of? What things do we need to lay down before the Lord? Giving you my heart and all that is within, lay it all down for the sake of you, my King. Giving you my dreams, laying down my life, giving up my life for the promise of new life.
sake of knowing you, glory of your name, even sharing in your pain, I surrender. picture of a, a, a clenched fist and I, I just I, f- I feel like there are those of you who that's a, a really good picture of your life right now you're, you're you got a fist you, you're hanging on for dear life you're so afraid to open up your hand and trust God but you know the word faith we tend to, to make it into all kinds of things, but I think one of the most elementary ideas of faith is it's just simply trust. Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. I'm giving you my heart and all that is within. I lay it all down for the sake of you, my King. I'm giving you my dreams. I'm giving you, I'm laying down my life. I'm laying down my pride for the promise new life this morning can you open up your hand and let the Lord can you trust these things that you desire so strongly can you trust them to Jesus today these things that you want so badly can you open up your hand and say God I don't I don't know what to do with this I'm scared to death to open up my hand and let this thing go this morning I let it go I give it to you Lord I surrender I take my hands off Lord we do that this morning God we take these things that we Lord we just admit they become idols to us Lord we have been obsessed with them we we have been looking to them for happiness for security Uh, God is is the key to our happiness God Lord, we just admit today they, they're nothing compared to you, God. Lord, we take these desires, all of our wants, all of our will. God, we just open up our hands today and we surrender to you. We trust you, Jesus. We trust you with whatever outcome we are just terrified to death of. We trust you with our fear. We trust you with our pain. We trust you with our desires, Lord. We bring them under your lordship today.
this morning, Lord, by your grace. Lord, make us into a community that is a colony of heaven, Lord. Lord, help us, empower us this week by your your spirit to live a life that is not characterized by selfish ambition, jealousy, Lord, but by humility, by grace, by peace, by submission to your wills and your way, Lord, by the love of God. Lord, it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things, Lord. If you would like any specific prayer this morning, uh, if you'd like someone to pray with you, we'd be glad to do that. Just come up and say something and be glad to pray with you. Thank you guys for coming. God bless you. Be good citizens of the kingdom this week. Is love.